0: you a football star. <laughs> gosh, gosh. Okay, ready? This is Light the Fight
1: podcast. You guys I just is... missed it. You just missed it. David was like singing the intro, and I think that we might have to change our intro because.
0: <laughs> well, it'd be copyright infringement because it was, I think, a John <laughs> Cougar Mellon. I don't know. It's, it's an inside joke in my family. For some reason, I like to make remixes of this old song, Little Diddy, about Jack and Nine. See, I knew he was going to do
1: it. He, he's...
0: But I'll usually say things like, Little Diddy, about Heidi Swap. <laughs> Wants to make things perfect, but she always seems to flop.
1: I mean, you just that, that just that. Like that was that. a joke, that was a joke. It's so true, it's so true, I know.
0: Anyways, I don't know why that song, I mean, I'm talking about for the past 20 years, I'll always randomly say that song.
1: Jeez, I'm getting a FaceTime call right in the middle of the podcast. A FaceTime?
0: What's FaceTime? FaceTime.
1: I was trying to hang up on him. It was my daughter. Okay, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of like the podcast, and so. Okay, bye. Call your dad. No, call your dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you okay, can see, sorry, folks, sorry, Heidi everyone. is actually gonna... <laughs> a
0: real mom. That was not a pretend phone call. For all you mothers out there, she really does mom. <laughs>
1: but, you know, like, here's the thing. Here's what happens. Has anyone else...
0: else ever in the history of podcasting answered a FaceTime <laughs> in the middle of the podcast? I trying to
1: ignore it, but here's what happens. This is what happens. A mom can be, like, totally busy, like, both hands both hands up to their elbows, you know, doing something, and the dad can be just sitting there, like, reading a book or looking at their phone or watching the TV, and the child will pass the father that's completely capable, go straight to the mother and ask them to get him a drink of water or something, (laughs) which you'd have to, like, take off your gloves and, you know, whatever. Like, what is it about asking mom to do stuff? Like, I don't know. So I was trying to decline them, but I, I can't even decline my kids. Jeez.
0: Well, I think your kids and most kids are pretty good at figuring out how to survive. And if they know they want food or water, if they want to wait. They'll go to dad. <laughs> if they want to go to mom or if the kids are smart, they can manipulate dad. Dad is it okay if we have ice cream and fudge brownies for breakfast. And dad's like, sure. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. So those are the times when they'll go to dad when they know they're not supposed to be having That's said right. food. That's right. Well, welcome to Light the Fight podcast. Slash Heidi's FaceTime experience.
1: (laughs) You know, what's so great about the podcast, actually, not only can you answer um, FaceTime calls and text while you're in the middle of your podcast, while Dave's having a rant, you can, like, check your text messages. Have you been texting while you're talking? No, I have not, but I could. Brandon,
0: (laughs) we need to start (laughs) recording these episodes and see how much she's really paying attention.
1: But the other great thing is that I totally... Like worked in my yard for five hours today, and all I did was threw on a hat. There's like mud on my legs. I didn't even have to get dressed up or put on any makeup or, you know, nothing.
0: Well, that's about to change. You realize that, right?
1: Well, I mean, you know, we keep threatening that, but I'm not. Okay, you know, well, hold on. Where are breath. we sitting right now? Well, we are, in fact, we have. I, I don't know if we can really count as an upgrade because this chair is harder than the couch I used to be sitting on. <laughs>
0: We're in our studio. It looks more like a closet right now. But <laughs> well, it not will be a closet,
1: be, but like a room.
0: It will be a a real studio soon. And uh that's why I said it's like the I mean We're kind we're of we in the testing. New studio. Yeah. So we're
1: kind of testing our what are they called, Brandon? Audio buffers or some type of
0: <laughs> Well, here's why I'm telling Heidi here's why I'm telling foam. Heidi, don't get too comfortable with just coming straight from the garden here. Um because we're going to start videoing really soon. As soon as we get this place all bedazzled. <laughs> so you guys will understand. Half of our podcasts will be glowing lights saying, like, you glow, girl. And I'll be like, um, oh, my gosh. I said L-I-K-E he, once already. Dang it. I wrote. I, okay.
1: He accuses going, me of bedazzling more than anybody else that I even know.
0: You're a rhinestone cowgirl. Oh, here we go again. Here we go. Again. So this place is going to look really good thanks to Heidi. And yes. then thanks to it looking really good, you're going to have to do a little bit of hair and makeup. All
1: right. I mean, I we'll can't see. be coming
0: here the bell of the ball. Okay. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm the best dressed person in the room, that's a problem.
1: Well, we know that – oh, he just offended the producer. It's a contest between these two. <laughs> Because I'm so happy to not dress.
0: I'm not even gonna mention our producer's fashion right now. Okay, he's wearing a shirt I bought him. So let's just put it. Let's, well. And the headphones I gave him. What else? Yeah. So his fashion is whatever I give him. That we works. may proceed.
1: That works.
0: He's a young guy. He's trying to make a. You know, he's trying to make it in the world.
1: Well, I'm just gonna enjoy my radio my what was what it looks for radio or so what what do they say about that if you're a radio person yeah you're, if you're a radio person
0: and you're not very attractive you say i've got a face for <laughs> a radio. face
1: for radio that's i'm going to enjoy that for right now <laughs> okay well so like I, like serious. i tried to my say gosh. a couple of
0: times before welcome to light the fight podcast i'm david kozlowski
1: and i'm heidi swap
0: and if you're new to light the fight podcast you can go back and start them from one or you can just start from right here but if you're starting from right here you got to pick up on the inside jokes. You're really going to be super
1: confused. I recommend. I tell people go back, go back to the beginning.
0: Yeah, but sometimes you want to taste the dessert before the dinner comes. You know.
1: Well, but stick your finger in the whipped cream a little bit. That and actually, I did. I did think that the shame versus guilt, V two, was pretty standalone. Like because we kind of brought you up to speed, and and that was basically like a true. Heidi swap therapy session.
0: Okay, why don't you tell them? Tell them what happened.
1: Well, basically, I mean, what you guys need to know is that everything that David has taught me has taken me a full three years (laughs) to learn, to actually learn. Um, I think that I am extraordinarily resistant to change. And I think that... I don't know if I just have, like, a marination, a longer... (laughs) A longer marination time. I don't know, but um, so I we had kind of talked, and and you guys already, you know, if you're listening for the first time, you don't know this, but in general, we don't really talk about what we're going to talk about because I would like to put David on the spot to see in if he general, actually knows. In general, or you him.
0: mean we don't talk because <laughs> we we don't
1: we don't we don't talk about what we're going to talk about. And so, what happened last week when we talked about shame versus guilt, I did know that we wanted to go in a little bit deeper, and. As we're going through it, I assumed that I knew something or I assumed that I knew the direction that we're going in. And I was being very resistant to what David was trying to teach me in that moment. And it wasn't until the very end of that session that I actually... podcast. Oh, yeah, podcast. (laughs) It wasn't an episode. And by the way, let's clarify something.
0: (laughs) I've been not your family's therapist for years stop saying therapy
1: what am i supposed to call you
0: let's get is this clear let's get this clear and the reason why I'm the reason why i'm stopping this for a second is because we've gone past that so any family that i've worked with that they've lost a child or something major happens like that they need more they need 911, 24 like they need just a lot more and so i was your son's therapist but after everything happened me coming over to your guys' house, talking to the family. Like I was just so much more involved in your family. Um, we just decided that it was going to go more to relationship coaching, which is the right. other thing that I do. And really the only difference between me, the only difference is between me giving therapy to someone is therapy. I practice underneath my license. Um, it's, you know, you diagnose, you do all the same type of stuff like that. But, um, relationship coaching, cause I'm not a life coach cause I can't help you with your whole life, your closet, your finances. Don't ask me for help <laughs> on that stuff, but relationships, like I'm the relationship guy. So we've been doing relationship coaching for a long time so that we can have a closer relationship because as a therapist, it's gotta be pretty, Hey, listen, see you once a week. Can't talk after that. There's a lot right. of strict rules because therapists could take advantage of their clients. Clients could take advantage of their therapists. We transcended past that, and and I've transcended past that with a lot, well, not a lot, but a handful of families, which is why we started doing relationship coaching. So this is coaching when we're talking. Right. Okay. I just want to clarify that because, yes, I am a therapist. I was your son's therapist, but after it happened, one therapy session once a week, and me diagnosing you and everybody in the family, it's like, what am I supposed to diagnose you with? You guys have a broken heart. Right. But there's no diagnosis for that. And at
1: that point, we kind of knew that we wanted to change the world. Yeah, and, 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 and,
0: <laughs> well, and, and your family, your kids, they needed, like, Uncle Dave. Right. Like, they needed to be able to reach out to me and talk to me, and and sometimes I needed to come to your house because you it just, it just couldn't leave. There, I mean, just imagine in Heidi's situation, you know, you're going through the worst time that you couldn't even imagine, and you have someone that can be there for you, but the rules of the therapy relationship didn't allow me to be there for you guys. So we'd agreed upon that we'll stop doing therapy because I was doing your son. I mean, I was working with your son. He's no longer with us. So we transitioned into coaching and uh, I'm just, I'm glad we were able to do that because it allowed us to have other relationships and allow us to talk with other people and allow us to be here right now where we're at. Cause we couldn't do therapy. In fact, I decided before this session, gosh, now I'm (laughs) saying before this podcast that I have to give a little disclaimer, maybe we'll do a pre-recorded disclaimer but this podcast is not meant to replace therapy. Right. It's not meant to be therapy. Even though I'm a licensed mental health professional, I'm not practicing underneath my license. I'm not giving counseling. I'm giving suggestions and ideas, and we're talking about topics. So I just want to make that very clear. If you leave this podcast, you said, yeah, my therapist I, that I listen to on his podcast, <laughs> Dr. Drew is not your doctor. <laughs> I'm not your therapist. We're just helping you out. We're, right. we're, just, we're just being there for you. And so it was Heidi really, you know, like we said, the brainchild of this is she had to be ready to have these conversations. And she came to me saying, I want to share these conversations. And I'm saying, well, if you want to share these conversations, I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to help you. So that's how we got to where we're at right now.
1: Right. And so if we rewind to the last, the last episode, which was not a session, but I right as we were talking and as we were progressing, like I was finally ready to hear that. And that concept of being your best friend in yourself. Um, even though we had talked about it a long time ago and I had I had been working on it without really knowing I was working on it, it's still it's still a it's still something I gotta work on. And um so today as I was walking working in the yard, I was re-listening to it and just like thinking, oh my gosh, Heidi, you were not picking up on, <laughs> you know, it took me a minute. And that's the thing about this it, because of the layers is as you, number one, have need, number two, as you get past layers of your own shame and are willing to see things in a, in a new way, in a new light, the information will impact you in a different way. And and that's what happened to me. I was finally able to hear it. In, I was in a different place where I was able to hear it in a different way. And so that's what's cool about listening to this and even re-listening to it. A lot of people are telling me, I listened to that podcast five times or that episode five times.
0: How good did that make you feel that you're not the only one that has to listen to your own <laughs> podcast over and over again?
1: Well, I, you know, it's, this is not super intuitive. No. And that's, that's one thing that I've said to Dave over and over, like, man, it really has taken me years to embrace, years for it to, you know, filter down through all the layers of resistance that I have and let it actually change my heart. And so that's why I think I keep saying to, to those of you who are listening, be open be willing to change and um, and it's not easy
0: and thank you if you do have to listen to it multiple times that's not a bad thing Um, a lot of times our, our minds get attracted to the bright shiny things so let's use an example with social media there's a lot of really bright shiny charismatic inspirational ways to approach life problems and that's good that's one layer Underneath that, though, sometimes the application and how we do that on a day-to-day basis, we need more than just words that everybody's using to describe how to handle a situation. And since you're talking about last, last week when we talked about best friend of yourself, most people listening to this podcast have heard of the concept self-care. A lot of people talk about self-care and they talk about it in all different types of ways. But if you pull back the layers of this self-care movement
1: because i'll get a massage anytime yeah because that is the self-care that i can subscribe to exactly (laughs) but when you when it comes to really best friending myself that is a lot harder than going to get a massage
0: well exactly so (laughs) self-care is the is the basic elementary you need to check yourself to make sure you're not pushing yourself too far you know do some simple things for yourself take better care of yourself so on and so forth Learning how to be your best friend, best friending yourself is a whole nother level of self-care. Best friending yourself is explaining to you a story that you can accept as a really good metaphor of why you even need to self-care. And then learning more about how to best friend yourself is the application of self-care in a realistic street scenario. Best friends are with us in our difficult times, our great times. In a real-life scenario, having self-care, as we said in one of the podcasts we ended up throwing away because it had our old podcast name on it, it's hard to have self-care when you don't care. Mm -hmm. And when you don't care, no one's thinking about self-care. So it just came to my attention through lots of people going, self-care, self-care. You hear people talking about it, but why weren't they doing it? And from what I was seeing is that part of the reason why people are struggling doing it on a consistent basis, because it didn't have a story behind it. It sounded really good. There was a lot of fluffiness to it that makes it shiny and bright, which sounds good and it's sweet and it's soft in the ears. Self care, it sounds really soft and it's easy, but to make change and a best friend yourself, that's ferocious. That's fearless. That's a whole nother level of intensity and repetition and adversity to get to that point where you can just do basic self care
1: things. Well, and it requires exactly the thing that we have that we want to talk about today. Yep. And and so I guess that's why we kind of can lead in from here because as we revisited or or you know, dug in a little bit deeper with shame versus guilt. Um mm-hmm. whoa, I just hit the table, sorry. It also becomes Necessary for us to talk about the next level of vulnerability. Yes. And so, um, I'm not even going to try to to s- to set this off or to start this off. Um, but
0: you could add a story of recently just something you got from your son that you saw it happening.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. Um,
0: well, well, maybe I'll start with saying what it is first and then okay. you can kind of, or I think should you good go idea. with the story first?
1: No, you you set it up.
0: Okay, cool. So we've talked about vulnerability. If you've listened to our shame versus guilt episodes, either one of them, if you hadn't heard about vulnerability before the last episode, I talked about Brene Brown. She's the researcher that brought all this information to light about shame. She identified really quickly from her research findings, the same thing I found in my research. My research is different. My research is sitting across from people, talking to the same people every single week for years at a time. And what I found out was the same thing she found out. We just found out through two different ways. Um, Her studies were showing that being vulnerable was a good way to describe how to bring attention and light to the things that you're most ashamed of. And when we're vulnerable, we're exposing and opening ourselves up to that shame. We're facing it. We're not hiding from it. And therefore the shame, ah, melts away and it goes running off into the shadows. And for a moment you're like, ah, I won today. I won the shame game. I faced my shame by being vulnerable. Well, another thing happened, um, that I found out again, through talking to people about vulnerability for years, vulnerability, much like mental health. In other words, um, have stigmas associated with them that we cannot remove. When people talk about vulnerability to other people who are working on being vulnerable, they get it, they accept it and they they say you know what that is a legitimate form of making yourself feel better even though it's difficult and hard well for all the people that subscribe to vulnerability and shame and stuff like that it's not hard for them to accept that problem is is more people don't like the word vulnerability than do like the word vulnerability and the reason why they don't like the word vulnerability is because one of the definitions and i'm going to get to the other one but one of the definitions says exposed easily hurt so a lot of people throughout their life they have it life experiences that when they were vulnerable meaning they were exposing themselves talking about you know their emotions or feelings or maybe they admitted something that they're you know ashamed of
1: trusting somebody yeah
0: trusting someone sometimes it doesn't go the way we plan sometimes people use the information against you sometimes people if you tell them something very vulnerable. They use that as the opportunity. They say, well, gosh, I have a whole lot of problems in my life that I want to be distracted from. Now that you told me your problems, I'm going to fix yours for you. So I don't have to deal with my own. And then they start giving you advice and criticism and opinions. And because you were vulnerable to them, you open up a door for criticism. That type of vulnerability has taught too many people in their lifetime to not be vulnerable. So if we're going to as adults now, and by the way, everyone out there that says, Hey, this is not me. I like vulnerability. I accept the word. I know it's a good thing. That's great. I'm not speaking about you. You're the minority. There's a lot of, believe it or not, there's a lot of hard nosed, tough people that they see vulnerability as a definite sign of weakness. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So what I found is that I had to play with the words a little bit. I had to figure out a, an app, ab, an absolute way to separate the stigma of vulnerable being weak and the vulnerability that Brene Brown's research talked about, she wrote all of her books about. And how I was able to distinguish between the two is I found a different um, definition of the word vulnerability. And by the way, in a little bit, I'm gonna tell you that someone else came up even with a better version of it than me, like the more tough guy version of it. So I'll give that guy props in a little bit. But I'm a therapist, I talk about feelings, so I had to use a soft word like vulnerability. So what had happened was, I don't remember how many times that this took place, but it just vulnerability. Just if I'm struggling to get someone to accept a word, I got to find a different word. It just doesn't work. So I came up with a different word by finding a different definition for vulnerability. There's another definition for vulnerability that says available, open, able to change. So basically what that version of vulnerability means is it means that you, by being vulnerable gives yourself opportunities and options. By not being vulnerable, we found out that it increases and feeds the shame. So I decided to play with the words and I came up with these two distinctions, victim vulnerability and assertive vulnerability. So most people, when they hear the word victim, they don't wanna be a victim. People will say, I am a victim, like I've been victimized but not many people will openly say I'm proud and I'm always going to be a victim and that's who I am. They may act that way and feel that way, but it's not something that people really want to associate with as being a victim. They're not excited about it. They're not happy about it. It doesn't give them you know, confidence. So victim vulnerability and assertive vulnerability differ in these ways. When someone's, When I tell someone you are being victim vulnerable, what I'm telling them is that you're being vulnerable but you're being vulnerable in a way that someone who identifies as a victim is being vulnerable i will use an example of an apology so there's lots of ways to apologize to another human being now vulnerability can just regular vulnerability that everybody knows about it it's so general it can encompass so many things you can being you can be exercising vulnerability just by waiting for your teenager patiently when they never wait for you patiently that could be an expression of vulnerability apologizing to someone in a sincere way that could be an expression of vulnerability so there's lots of ways to be vulnerable
1: do you think that even complimenting somebody
0: complimenting someone that complimenting someone that you're insecure around but you're trying to face your own insecurities by giving them a compliment to help yourself feel more secure that could be expression of vulnerability but in using victim vulnerability, what I found out is that victim vulnerability, using the example of, I'm going to apologize to a friend for letting them down, not being there for them. And right now I'm going to give you an example of victim vulnerability. I would say something like this. Hey, I, I know I blew it and I know I didn't show up for you last night. I was supposed to be there and I totally ghosted you. Um, I'm sorry. But I mean you know, you've ghosted me before too. It wasn't like, you're always the best friend for me. So, you know, if you don't want to forgive me, it's like, whatever. Like, I guess we won't be friends anymore, but you've done the same thing to me. That's victim vulnerable. And this is why it's victim. Victims have this mentality of I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. Hopeless, helpless, lacking self-confidence, not optimistic, Lacking accountability, not lacking, but not seeing a reason to be accountable because you did nothing wrong. You were wronged. So, if you've ever had someone give you an apology as a guilt trip to make you feel bad for things you've done for them in the past, that's a victim vulnerability apology. When someone is being victim vulnerable, they're not taking accountability. They're not showing that they've learned from anything and they're not trying to better the connection. They're trying to be validated as being right or trying to escape the feeling that you're going to be mad at them or that they're wrong. Now assertive vulnerability is the vulnerability Brene Brown's talking about. It's the vulnerability that is positive, it's healthy, and it's the one that cripples shame and sends it running to the corner
1: and leads to connection
0: and leads to connection. Assertive vulnerability, someone has to go first, as we talk about in in our podcast. Assertive vulnerability, if you look at the word assertive, this is how I came up with this. One of the definitions I found for the word assertive is a bold expression of self. So if you go into, a, let's say you got a job and you've been there for three years, you haven't really gotten much of a raise, but for some reason they give you different titles and they give you more work, but they never give you more money. So you're in this job and you have finally come to a place where you're thinking, I need to go and ask for a raise. And if I go and ask for a raise, there's a really good probability. I'm either A, going to get the raise, or I'm not going to be back at this job anymore. A lot of times people won't go and ask for a raise out of fear that they don't think that they can ask for a raise. Or they've asked for a raise in the past, and then they got in trouble, like, or it didn't go well. When you're assertively vulnerable, you go in to ask for that raise like this and i'll just give you another example you know i've been with your company for three years i'm thankful i'm loyal i'm part of the culture and the community here this is something i'm proud to be a part of and i want to be a greater part of it the reason why i'm coming to you is because in order for me to be a greater part of it i feel that my efforts and hard work this has warranted for me getting more pay maybe more opportunities in a different department you know whatever it may be and i wanted to come and just share with you that this is where I'm at and this is where I feel and I want to put that out there for you so you know that I would like more money and a different position. What assertive vulnerability does is it makes statements of truth. It tells how you feel, bold expression, how you think in a bold expression, but it doesn't pick a fight. Its intention is not confrontation its intention is saying, Hey, I'm gonna just put this out there. If you pick it up and you agree with me and say, You know, you have worked hard, you know, and you do deserve these things. I mean, I haven't thought about that, but not because I don't value you as, a, as, as an employee, but thank you for bringing that to my attention. And yeah, we're gonna talk about it and we'll get back with you. So, can that, I hold on one second? So, that type of assertive vulnerability, what it does is you're putting yourself out there and you're saying, Here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm feeling. And you're leaving it up to the person to interpret the way they want to interpret it, but you're not going to them and saying, you know what, by the way, I'm just about to give you an example of a victim vulnerability asking for a job. You know, I've been working here for three years. I haven't got a raise, I haven't got any of this like that, I haven't worked hard, I cry, I believe, I, I want this company to do well and stuff like that, I just don't feel I'm respected, and, and I want all these other opportunities, and you know, I have other job opportunities, by the way, other people want me, and, I, and I'm valued by a lot of people, and so I came here to tell you that I, I, I need a raise, or else, you know, maybe I have to go work somewhere else, Now, obviously that was very dramatic. But imagine when someone's going to go ask for a job raise, how scared and how nervous they are. It's easy to go and fumble along and just start saying stuff that doesn't even matter. So a victim of vulnerability is you're saying, you should have acknowledged that I needed a raise. I shouldn't have to ask you for anything. You should know that I'm a hardworking employee. And since you haven't acknowledged these things, since you haven't given me a raise, since you haven't talked to me in this certain way, that I'm going to have to leave somewhere else. But I just want to give you one more chance to keep me. The, there's no negotiation. There's, you're not giving someone the opportunity to feel and think about it and then come back to you. You're bringing to them a problem, not a solution. So assertive vulnerability says, I'm going to give you this, leave it where it may be. If you want me to work with you and stuff like that, maybe I haven't done something. Maybe I need to do something more to get that raise, whatever it is, let me know. Cause I want to work towards that. Now with the victim vulnerable, it's really difficult because a lot of times we do feel victimized. We can calculate all the times where our job, in this example, didn't appreciate us. They didn't give us more money, and we can take that personal as if it's their job to look out for us. When in reality, assertive vulnerability says, I'm not coming at you for a confrontation, but I do need to talk to you. I'm just hoping you'll see where I'm coming from is respectful, and I just wanna have a conversation. That type of assertive vulnerability allows you to face your own shame because if you're, if you're scared and worried that you're not good enough or they're not going to accept you and give you a raise, that is a very shameful feeling. If you are assertively vulnerable, you push your shame aside and you say, you know what, shame, I appreciate you encouraging me all these three years to just wait for them to magically give me a raise, but I think it's time for me to ask for one. And I'm going to ask for one in a way, not telling them that I'm going to leave and that they have not respected me. I'm going to go there and say, you know what? This is what I want. If there's something I need to do to get it, let me know because I'm ready to get going. So victim vulnerability, bad. (laughs) Assertive vulnerability, really good.
1: So here's the thing, though. Can you be assertively vulnerable and still be afraid? Well, of course. And so... It's really not like you could be, you can be afraid of the outcome or worried about the outcome either way. It's just whether or not you're going to take responsibility for it or you're going to put the responsibility on somebody else. So my
0: actual definition for assertive vulnerability is a bold expression of your most sincere, genuine thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. Okay. Even if that
1: includes being afraid.
0: When you state something in assertive vulnerability, you're not waiting and expecting a specific outcome. What you're doing is you're putting your bet on, if I'm assertively vulnerable, it increases my probability of having a better outcome. Who knows what better is? Sometimes you think victim vulnerability, usually when you're approaching it, you think that you are owed something, they need to give you something, you're wrong, and sometimes it may not even be from that person. You may think, well, other jobs didn't appreciate me, and you're doing the same thing, even though you never asked for a raise. So victim vulnerability makes you go into it expecting the worst case scenario. You're guarded. You're protecting your shame, but you can check a box. Hey, I was vulnerable. I told him how I felt.
1: Right, right.
0: I hear this is a lot of victim vulnerability. You know, I'm sorry for pissing you off, but you pissed me off too. Okay, well, good job. Job security for me. Talking like that, you're going to always be coming to counseling.
1: Well, you know, as as I sit here and listen to you um, describe that and and have the benefit of watching your facial expressions.
0: When we get the cameras, (laughs) Heidi's going to get more fans. I'm going to lose the three that I have.
1: I'm a little animated. I I found out from
0: my AncestryDNA.com. You know, I got a little Italian in me. I'm Mexican. I always knew I was Polynesian, but it's something about that Mexican. You know, the Italian. <laughs> hey, what's up? You know, my eyebrows, my I hands. I try so. really
1: hard to, like, keep a straight face. <laughs> but anyway, it's good. It's good. I love it. Okay. The, the viewers are going to love it. The the listeners. Um, okay, anyway, so. It's one of those car wrecks you just have to watch, <laughs> right? Here's where the, as as I listen to it and think about it, it's like, oh, no wonder assertive vulnerability leads to a building of relationship and so clearly the victim vulnerability shatters opportunities for a relationship it's so obvious and as you are saying that i have to tell you what a bad decision i made just a few days ago well
0: tell me and everyone else i know because the, you guys have to hear all this the people because listening.
1: i was totally blaming okay so poor quincy gets to and she knows that i share these things i think she secretly listens to the podcast but anyway, we had this situation where this is probably like three weeks ago and I, I had a day of, that I was supposed to be working from home. And so what that means is that I have a whole list of stuff I'm supposed to do, but supposed to do is I'm better. also doing the laundry and going to the grocery store and doing all these other things. Momtrepreneur. That's Hashtag right. Hashtag right. That's right. But more often than not, I'm sort of not getting my real work done and I'm having to do stuff from at home. And this is just one of the luxuries that I have that my job avails me. So on this particular day, I had done, I'd spent my entire day taking care of things that Quincy needed, whether she knew she needed them or not. I was helping with a fundraiser. I was, I you know, I can't even, right now, I can't even remember all the things. There was laundry. There was a form that she needed to fill out. I had to get some money to pay for, you know, some things that she had to do. I had to take something to the post office for her. Like, there was, I ordered something online, which I hate shopping online. Like, there was all these things that I had, like, genuinely spent hours working on for her. And she came home from school just grouchy and immediately completely not appreciating all the work that she didn't know i'd been doing for her the entire day and so i had said to her like i took it for a few minutes and it didn't get any better and then i took it a little bit longer and it got to the end like ready for bed and i just lost it and i was like well, I'm really glad that this entire day I've been doing this and this and this and I am, I am so glad that I've been able to put my entire life on hold so that I could take care of all of these things. Because do you know that I did this and I did this and she says to me, she turns around and she goes, could you just write me a list and slip it under my door so I can write you a thank you note? And I, oh man, that, that was the wrong th- I mean, I was so mad. I was, I was like, "Oh no, thank you (laughs) note." You know, I was like at that point. But, but as I listened to you, as I listened, as I saw that expression on your face, I was like, "Oh, that is what I did." I. That's what we all do. Because if I would have gone up there and said, at certain times, Quince, here's the thing. Today, I worked really hard to do these things that I know that you need. And you, being mean to me and everybody in our family, is making it really hard for me to want to do these things for you. Do you need to talk about this? And if you do, you know where to find me. But can you please stop treating me like this? Because I really don't deserve it. Or, that would have changed the game. Well, that's, like, that. She was, would not have w- been able to say, well, then make me a list and slip it in my door. Well,
0: the reason, first of all, Quincy, kudos to you. That was a very good comeback. Um, and the reason why she said, write me a less slip it on my door and give you a thank you card because she's saying, I know you want me to come to your victim vulnerability party, mom, and you've given me lots of invitations. So just slide all the whole entire list. Cause I can't get to all of the things that you want me to feel bad for not appreciating.
1: Quite honestly, I thought it was a good comeback too, which made me even <laughs>
0: matter. Cause yes. she, cause you were more emotionally worked up than she was. <laughs> and so again, and I'm glad you told that story because victim vulnerability versus assertive vulnerability i i i ask people to kind of do this for themselves like this is way after i've gotten a good relationship with the teens or the parents or whoever i'm talking to once they understand the difference between the two they'll be telling me that you know my mom did this or my child did this this and that and the other and they'll tell me what they did and i said okay all right and they'll say like i was being vulnerable i said okay you're right you were being vulnerable but which one so I'll say back to them what they just said to me. And then I said, now you tell me, is that victim vulnerable? And remember, victim is I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. And I'm only, le- I'm only being vulnerable to make you A, feel bad, B, um, to uh, remind you of all the horrible things you've made me feel in the past, or C, all the above. And when we do that, we think we're being vulnerable, but shame is tricky, Shame takes all the fluffy stuff that we read on social media, the books that we've read, and it takes a concept that's really good, like vulnerability, and then it tells us we're being vulnerable because we are, but we're being the bad vulnerable, not the good one. We're being the one that disconnects people, not connects them.
1: And shuts people right out. Like, they don't even want to engage in that. They're like, okay, you go to your pity party, and I got to go.
0: So my saying that our producers heard me say for years is the only way like to really be close to people, like the only way to bridge a gap and have a really deep relationship with someone is you have to be vulnerable to even be available to connect with another person. And then they would have to look at you and say, you know what, I was planning on a fight. You kind of threw me off with that assertive vulnerability thing you just said to me. I was (laughs) kind of thought it was gonna go something different. And at that moment, they got to make a decision do I want to be assertively vulnerable back, which would really end this? It would, it would get us keep on moving, not be dramatic. Or do I want to use this opportunity of them being vulnerable? Because assertive vulnerability is a type of openness. Or do I want to use this as a chance to pick a fight with them? You can determine whether someone's going to use your vulnerability as a fight, as a reasoning to come at you wrong. But from my experience, it definitely increases your probability and chances that you're gonna have a better connection, they're gonna forgive you if you're wrong, you're gonna move further into a solution if you offer of vulnerability on the menu. If it's on the menu and people go, wow, of vulnerability is something that could probably squash these issues a lot faster, or I could sit here and dig in my heels and just have a really bad pity party and be you know, attacking this person, they gotta make that choice. But assertive vulnerability, when you're doing it, you realize it's not your choice, it's theirs. And all you can do is bring it to them, see what they do with it. Now, here's a little add-on to this. You learn a whole lot about relationships if you show up consistently assertively vulnerable and they keep on taking shots at you. If someone keeps on taking shots at you and takes that vulnerability as a sign of weakness, it's only because that's what they choose to do with it. Not because you're weak and not because you're offering, hey, I'm a horrible person, please persecute me. You're actually coming at them very correct, very honest, just making a couple basic statements. And if they then choose to pick a fight with you or use that against you, then you gotta go back to the drawing board and you're gonna have to do a little inventory on that relationship. When people are in relationships and the relationships change for the worse, it's easy to bang our head up against the wall and say, why are they being this way? Because when we first start dating or when we were first friends, it used to be different we all have a hard time grieving the death of relationships. Sometimes a relationship is not even breathing. There's no life in it at all, but we keep on trying to give it CPR. We keep on trying to bring it back. When you're assertively vulnerable, you're not trying to bring it back. You're acknowledging for what it is. And if they show up giving you the same type of grief or not respecting you, then you can much, it's so much easier to sit back and say, you know what? Maybe instead of just giving up on this relationship, Maybe instead of just being angry and upset with this person fighting with them, maybe I just need to have more realistic expectations of them. They could have been a really good friend three years ago and whatever's happened in their life, which I don't know what's going on. They're not a good friend now. Who knows what's going to happen in three years from now, but today, right now at this moment, I'm going to have to change my expectations of them. I might need to stop ask acting them to show up and be a great friend. They're giving me signs. They're telling me they're not capable of doing it. I talk to couples a lot of times. Outside of teenage parent relationships, I'll talk to couples and they're going back and forth playing the shame game with each other. And until one of them or both of them, hopefully, starts to become more assertively vulnerable and practices that, they have no chance of connecting and getting towards solutions. They they can't see the other person as a person that they could partner with and work with. They see the other person that they they see the other person as a potential threat that they have to def- defend themselves. So then you can validate your victim vulnerability and taking shots at someone else because they took shots at you. Someone's gonna have to say, you know what? I'm wrong. Here's where I, here's where I'm at, and not asking you for an apology. Victim vulnerability says, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Don't you think you owe me an apology too? Or even if you don't say it, if you expect it, it's okay. If you want it, it's okay, but if you actually require them to give you an apology back, you're being victim vulnerable. Just because you want it doesn't mean you have to sit there and demand it or have to hold them hostage or prisoner until they give you what you want because that's what victim vulnerability is. Victim vulnerability is a tool of shame. Assertive vulnerability is crushing that shame.
1: Okay, so let's, let me ask you this. <clears throat> what if you have a child who, victim vulnerability, is their go-to, and you're trying to be assertively vulnerable, and and you're working on yourself, but your child, let's say it's he's ten years old, and <laughs> and he immediately when you get mad or he hasn't come, th- he hasn't delivered or he hasn't done his end of the bargain. He immediately goes to, I'm a terrible person. Well, I'm really sorry. You probably don't even want me for for your son or, you know, immediately goes into this um, crying, self-loathing place. It's, It's not like a friend that you can be like, you know what, I'm gonna give you a couple weeks leave of absence or a spouse even that you can be like, you know what, you sleep on the couch night or whatever. What do you do when you, the other person in your relationship isn't capable of assertive vulner, vulnerability yet, or at that time?
0: So we're going to do a first time here on the Light the Fight podcast. Heidi's going to answer her own question.
1: Oh, do I already know? Do I already know the answer, and I just haven't?
0: Well, well. You just asked, what do you do when it's a 10 year old child? So obviously it's not a teenager, you know, even less of the brain has developed at 10 years old. So I just gave you the definition for assertive vulnerability and victim vulnerability. You know about statements, you know about, and you know about all the things we've talked about and you've actually had success. You're asking me a question you've done wrong plenty of times, but you've actually dealt with correctly many times too. So how would you answer that question?
1: Well, I'm gonna tell you what happened this morning. Okay. Because this, I bring this up because this is a situation that happened this morning. And we're off track. So, you know, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. We're finally eating breakfast. And um, I'm trying to get Connor and Capri, like ready to go with chores for the day before they can do anything else. And granted it's 11. And my husband had, he had someplace that he needed to go. And so we kind of had this moment where we're all in the kitchen having a late lunch, talking about chores, and Capri and Connor sort of pop off to each other. At which point, Connor says something, my husband misunderstands, and sort of flies off the handle at him. Like, what did you mean by that? Like, really kind of comes down on Connor. And in this situation, Connor didn't, Connor didn't do, didn't didn't feel it. so he did feel victimized in this situation and he started crying, don't touch me like that and flies down the stairs and Eric follows him trying to say, look, what did you say? Help me understand. Um, at that point I was like, oh, geez. Eric, you know he gets emotional. You know we can't talk to him like that. You know this isn't productive. And I'm like, oh great. All I want to do is somebody to pick up the dog poo. You know, this is not hard. I'm gonna. I'm making sausages, and we had dog food pickups. So can't we all just get along, right?
0: You can't make sausage and pick up food well, at the same time. Well,
1: sausage is it's something not, not that makes everybody in my house happy. <laughs> 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 but I get your saying. So yeah. boom, boom. Connor um, comes back up, and he is, like, you know, breathing hard, and he's upset, and I could, t- I could tell that, like, there's kind of a red mark where his shirt maybe got pulled, and he's upset. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, we are all trying to change our behaviors. And I said, Connor, me and dad have been parents for 25 years and we are trying to change our approach. And you and Capri have behaviors that you've been doing since you were little and and I'm needing you guys to change the way you talk to each other because we all have to work together. And like, his breathing kind of slowed. I gave him this hug that meant it was it was a hug. Like I know how you feel, and I don't I don't want you to be upset. And you know, I looked at everybody and I said, "Did everybody say you were sorry?" And I said I was. You know, it was kind of like and so I guess I did. I I diffused the situation. Um. And I was scared. I was scared because, oh, no, Connor's going down, and he's crying, and now we're all, like, all is lost. And Eric did his due diligence by saying, I'm sorry. I thought you meant to say something, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I guess that's my answer to, to the question.
0: So what's your answer?
1: My answer is that You you model it you help explain it by explaining your point you can diffuse the situation and then you can lead with love
0: victim people that are in a victim vulnerable place when you're being victim vulnerable you have a specific outcome that has to be met in order for you to see that as a successful experience you whatever outcome in your mind that you are expecting if it doesn't work out that way then you are victimized. It's validation. Assertive vulnerability. You're not betting on a certain outcome. You're betting on a probability. You're saying, if I address this situation, in this case, if you model assertive vulnerability, patience, understanding, and support, you're okay with the time it takes for the person to go from their difficult place back to a center place where then you can have a conversation assertive vulnerability doesn't require one of my favorite things that i've had to say to people in the past i've apologized assertive vulnerability apology said i'm sorry if you're mad at me you have every reason to be because i made a mistake and i let you down period then i say something like this if because of my mistake if it's unforgivable if you don't think you want to work with me or whatever the situation may be i do not blame you one bit at all because i've lost your trust However, I'm hoping that by me talking to you right now, you can see that I still want to work with you. I still want to be your friend. I still want, you know, whatever the scenario, you know, a good relationship. But I just know that you deserve for me to at least be real with you and tell you this was my bad. Take as much time as you need. Just let me know what you think. And when you mic drop that moment, what happens is you're not, expecting them to give you an apology in a timeline that would be beneficial for your ego and for you to feel better. You're giving them, you're betting on them. You're saying, I bet if I do this genuinely and sincerely that you are most likely going to come around and we're going to reconnect, even if it's not today, even if it's not in five minutes from now, it may be, depending on how bad the situation, it may take longer than that. But if we don't respect other people's timeline, other people's, stresses in life things they got going on and weeks ex- and we tell them that they have to let us know immediately they have to tell us or they need to forgive us well then uh, how, how freeing is that for that person it's not at all so you model that for them and you say listen hey we're trying to do something different we've been working on this for years but we obviously have a lot to work on thanks for being patient for us and come here give me a hug because we're not mad at you and you're not worthless but sometimes people need time to run through all those emotions and you guys did the best you could at that moment, but you guys are also coming from a place of great fear. A lot of people listen to this podcast and be like, yeah, but what if her son goes downstairs and thinks about suicide? Well, that's not an imaginary situation for you and your husband. No, you not. have every reason to be freaked out. And then you see as red marks on his neck. What does that mean? Like your triggers could be going off left and right. But like we talked about before, is it a notification that you better model better or... Is it validation and proof that your son is not going to be able to pull out of the scenario?
1: Well, and then in this particular situation, I, like my heart's beating and I'm nervous and I'm trying, you know, and I'm thinking, I just wanted to have some breakfast and get the chores done so that I can get on the rest of my day. And I'm kind of like, Oh, this isn't how I wanted this to go. And the next thing Connor's like, Hey dad, can you help me start the, out, the lawnmower? And Boom, like that.
0: Gone.
1: He wasn't even still thinking about that. And I'm like,
0: hmm, hmm, hmm.
1: And he's just like, on to the next thing. And so you're right about those timelines. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to move on yet. I was kind of, you know, I was still upset. So, anyway.
0: So, remember what I said earlier, you guys. In order. You got to be assertively vulnerable in order to even be available to have a deeper connection with someone else. Then they have to choose in their own timeline to be assertively vulnerable back to you for you to connect. So two people have to be assertively vulnerable in order for you to be available to connect. Whoever goes first though, is the person that's modeling. You have to say in your actions, this is what I'd like. This is what I'm hoping for. However, I'm honoring, and respecting your own freedom, your own thoughts, whatever it is. So I'm not gonna tell you how to think or feel. And I'm not gonna have an outcome and I'm not gonna put a timeline on it. If you do that, guess what happens? Your probability that they're gonna meet you with the same. How many times are we just saying we want people to be real with us? respect us. Then when someone does it, all of our anger and frustration gets thwarted. It's like, does not compute, does not compute. I was expecting a confrontation and they were actually being really cool, powering down. It's like, once you finally let go of all that, you're relieved that you can move forward and deal with the next dramatic issue in your life. It's not like you don't have other fires you need to put out or problems you need to deal with. This could be This could avoid a serious distraction from real life problems. Because when you said poo and sausages, my (laughs) biggest fights that I'm helping families out with, we name the pinnacle fight. I have two names that are my favorite so far. One was the blue cheese incident, blue cheese dressing incident. And one was the ranch dressing incident. Oddly enough, in one family... The dad doesn't like blue cheese, and the mom put blue cheese on his thing, and the cops got called. No joke. It wasn't violent, but the neighbors thought someone was going to die because they're really, they're East Coast kind of, you know, loud people. (laughs) So they thought someone was dying. That was just them really arguing. And then the ranch incident, it was a very simple, simple thing like that. The kid dipped his nuggets in buttermilk ranch. He hates buttermilk. The mom knows that, and she bought it anyways because she wasn't thinking. He was Mom, you know, I don't like buttermilk. And she snapped. It was one of those days where the teacher called for the other. It was just one of those days where she's like, Buttermilk, dressing, you freaking got And the kid was like, whoa, I didn't know. It was just buttermilk. Mom, relax. About 10 years old. The sausage poo incident of 2018. Right? Every family has these pinnacle moments. These pinnacle moments, the Christmas of 1992, whatever it is, whatever yours is, what was happening is there's definitely people not being assertively vulnerable, right? People were seeing the trigger as not like, oh, there's an opportunity for me to figure out something. They went straight zero to 60 to anger, frustration, and then the shame game began.
1: So last of all, as we loop around to the very beginning, when we talked about using vulnerability, assertive vulnerability to best friend yourself. I think that as we take this message and how you've you've described the difference, and we say, you know, the dialogue in our head, which is, you know, I just suck. Nobody likes me. I'm never gonna get anywhere. It's gonna be really hard to best friend ourselves. If that's the dialogue going on all the time. But if the dialogue is, I'm really trying to do better and I'm going to take this one day at a time or, you know, whatever that is, like, I don't think you can completely change your or the dialogue
0: could be, I'm not trying as hard as I should be. I'm not trying hard enough. That could be assertively vulnerable too. Right. Saying I suck at something is not shaming yourself. If a it's true, <laughs> and B, you're acknowledging it because you're being assertively vulnerable, saying, You know what? I suck at this. And it's a good reminder for me to work harder on it. If I don't like the way this feels, I better do something about it. That's best friending yourself on a sort of vulnerable level that cannot be this type of this type of approach, you can't post this on social media. You can't you can't teach yourself through a meme of like, oh, this is gonna help me. Maybe someone could take and make a cool meme out of what we just said, like you know, you know, you you got to be assertively vulnerable to even be available to help you remember it. But this takes a whole lot of work. But now you know the difference between the two. So you have a story. It's like, okay, I'm being victim vulnerable and I hated when my parents did that growing up. So no wonder why my kid or my spouse or my friends don't like it when I do it. And then you have to be assertively vulnerable to counteract it. Say, okay, I'm tired of being a victim. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to work on... Owning my stuff and being more, you know, assertively vulnerable so that I don't mistake my vulnerability as victim vulnerability. Too many people get lost in those two. They think they're doing the good one and they're doing the bad one. Problem is they didn't know there was a difference between the two. They thought vulnerability was either good or bad. They didn't know it was both.
1: Well, or it can be both. I I think for me right now, just kind of my brain is just like as as I'm thinking about this because – as i stand back again and look at this you can't not have self-respect if you're being assertively vulnerable with yourself and like what what you know what a triumph that is because you know we and we talk about this all the time that it's so easy like you know we'll have and i've talked about this before the a police res- a policeman that says, I'm really good at being a first responder at my job. But when I get in my house, I blow up at my kids. Or it's, you know, a lawyer who says, I'm really good at reasoning with these these people who can't communicate, but in my own relationships, it's really hard for me. I think that you know, for me, I really love relationships and I I'm willing to be assertively vulnerable and I and I love worrying about other people's feelings but i treat myself like a second class citizen a lot and um and i guess like for, for me all of a sudden i'm like i'm seeing this totally differently like even when we talked about best friend yourself last week and i was like in my entire yoga class i couldn't think of anything that i liked about myself you, you know, like
0: Heidi right now is learning and figuring this out and trying to talk about it the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really mess.
1: Okay, so anyway, I'll stop. No, no, but. it's good. It's good. No, it's 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 all
0: good. It's all good. Um, a, a, a little thing that that I wanted to add to it because I said it earlier in the podcast. I'd mentioned this gentleman in his book in one of our first podcasts, and I think a couple of people hit us up and said, "Hey, who is that guy?" Right. So a guy way tougher and way like machoer than me. Wrote a book. Now this isn't no average guy. This is the Navy SEAL of all Navy SEALs, a certified American superhero. Now, just so
1: you guys know, Dave and Brandon, our producer, talk about this guy all the time. He's like hero status for these guys. No,
0: he is. He's well. Here's the reason why. Not because of the things he's accomplished in his career, but because how he talks about himself. He wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And in his book, because he works with companies uh, that are trying to figure out management issues because there's a lot of people fighting for um, higher positions, money, and then the companies start to struggle in certain areas. So they just come in, and like Navy SEALs do, they dissect what's going on. And they found out that a lot of people in leadership positions don't actually know how to lead with extreme ownership. He described to a T, assertive vulnerability he told experiences where people almost died because of lots of mistakes. And he said, everything was his fault and he wasn't saying it like, Oh, it's all my fault. Blame me. No, he actually went into great detail being very assertively vulnerable, why it was his fault and also the things that he needs to change it. So it doesn't happen again. The only way, the only way you can make a relation, not make the only way you can give a relationship growth to evolve and change to be optimized, is someone has to start by being assertively vulnerable, usher in that type of thinking, that type of approach, and then other people will quickly adopt to it because they're like, okay, this makes sense. If the leader is owning his stuff and saying the stuff that he should have worked on, then everyone else is less scared to admit that their faults. When we admit our faults and we own it, now we have a chance to learn. If we're protecting our shame, or if we're protecting our faults and our insecurities, how can we learn from something that we have to defend?
1: We can't. Right.
0: So since we're all focused on protecting our shame and protecting our insecurities, I think this guy, by the way, his name is Jocko Willink. Willink and Jocko Willink, Extreme Ownership, he's got another great book called The Way of the Warrior Kid. It's about assertive vulnerability for like little kids. Great stuff. He just said it in a way cooler, macho, tougher way, Extreme Ownership. But it's the same thing. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking, oh, my husband ain't going to buy. As soon as the word vulnerability, he's out the door. Well, then drop this book, Extreme Ownership, Navy SEAL Commander, and then he'll read it. And especially if he's a business guy or working in a corporation, he'll feel inspired. He'll feel like he's a man,
1: but he's really being vulnerable. (laughs) And you actually
0: won at the end of the day.
1: So slide
0: (laughs) that in his little to listen to or to read box.
1: Because he also has a podcast, right?
0: Oh, yeah, he's got a great podcast. His podcast is totally different than his books, though. His podcast, he goes in historical events, and he breaks down historical wars and events and talks about the deeper psychology and what was going on behind, like, 9-11 and certain things. Not the conspiracy theory stuff. Like, he did this one about this guy. I don't know if you remember the plane crash that happened, the one that didn't hit the towers. Well, what happened was a bunch of the crew, or not the crew, a bunch of the people on the plane attacked the... um, the terrorists. Right. One of the guys was a badass college judoka, which is a judo player, which martial artist throws people, chokes them out, and he got killed. But he was the one that stopped it. Like he led the charge, and he talks about the historical event about his assertive vulnerability in that situation. So, if you like those type of history type things and a deeper, he studies these books written about these historical events. So he's got great information about history, great information about how being vulnerable with a tougher exterior to it, extreme ownership. So check that out if you guys want to listen to that. But it's basically, it's assertive vulnerability, just it's put in a different word, a different phrase.
1: Right. Well, I, f- I feel like I've learned a lot today. Well, good. In In this episode.
0: So maybe we should turn non- these into sessions and you non- can pay session. me for every podcast <laughs> we do, right?
1: Right. Or we, yeah, we need to come up with some. We gotta come up with
0: something. Yeah, eventually <laughs> you realize that we're eventually gonna have to get some sponsors, some some people to help us so we can grow this thing. So it's true. But don't worry, guys. We're not gonna get sponsors by like Tide and Clorox and like something has nothing. Well, actually, that kind of would go because moms, a lot of moms listen to this.
1: Like vitamins.
0: Trust me, whatever sponsorships we have, <laughs> they're gonna be someone that Heidi and I have very close relationships with, and it's and it actually connects with the things we're talking about. Otherwise. We're just, yeah, we're not going to do random sponsors. <laughs> well, unless they pay a stupid money, then
1: I can, yeah, my friendship can be bought. <laughs> well, for now, you guys, thank you for listening. Um, as always, thank you for reaching out to us. You can message us via Facebook or Instagram at Light the Fight. You can also go to Elevate Podcasting, which is a great place for you to find The ability to email us. And you can also email us directly at at lightthefightpodcastgmail.com. And we love hearing from you. Smoke (laughs)
0: signals. They can send smoke signals.
1: I don't know if smoke signals will work. Like, I had, I mean, we have people listening from. South Africa, Dubai from yeah, Dubai. shout out
0: to the woman in Dubai. So we get to see all the analytics where everybody in the world is listening. Amazing to. stuff. So I, I was really surprised that people of LA in between like all the fashion shows and like going to the beach had time to listen to our podcast. So they also have, I'm just joking. Struggles. I'm from Southern California. All you people in LA, I love you. That was just a joke. <laughs> I'll be there really soon surfing and eating great Mexican food.
1: <laughs> anyway, we love to hear from you um, questions. we like to hear your wins and um for now yeah over there